My wife calls me and says, somebody by our kid's school found a chihuahua. And they're moving. They don't have time to help. They just gave it to me. I'm like, well, send me pictures of chihuahua. So she sent me pictures of chihuahua. I was like, I'll go, let me put it on Instagram and see if somebody wants a chihuahua. I don't know what I'm doing, right? <laughs> so I post this chihuahua. And all these people want this chihuahua. I mean, it was crazy. And I was like, oh, my God. So I met this family that I picked. When I met them at a park. And I said, yeah, I'll bring the dog to you. So I brought the dog. And when I gave them the chihuahua, the way their faces lit up and the way that chihuahua, which was just stranded in an alley, this family was moving, didn't want the chihuahua anymore, they dumped it. Like when this family, lit, this new family gave them the chihuahua, the way they lit up, it was absolute magic what I saw happen. So quick backstory. I've set up five people on dates. Five people, and I go, you'd be perfect for this person. You'd be perfect for this person. All five of those people got married. Hook me up, dude. I, I hook you up. Dude, I'm good. <laughs> so I sit on the air. I go, man, what I saw happen here with this dog, I go, I'm better at hooking up people with their pets than I am with people getting married. All right, let's do this. Hey, guys, I'm Parker Kane. Thanks for listening to my podcast, Upbeat. I share a lot of motivational stuff and info on social media, music, and entertainment. But I will also be sharing my personal experiences and interviewing all kinds of other people for their stories and their experiences, finding and pursuing what they really love to do. Let's get into it. Hey guys, this is Upbeat. I'm your host, Parker Kane. Thank you for being here and for listening in. You know, you could be anywhere doing anything and you're right here listening to Upbeat and that means the world to me. So thank you, seriously. And you're in luck because you picked an amazing episode to listen to. In this episode, I interviewed John J. Van S. from the national pop radio morning show, John J. and Rich. They're an iHeartRadio show and they have a bunch of podcasts, including John J. and Rich On Demand and John J. and Rich Afterwards. And you can listen to their live shows every weekday morning morning, 6 to 10 a.m., and that's Mountain Standard Time if you live near me. But also, these guys created the Love Pup Foundation and the Love Up Foundation, hashtag Love Pup and hashtag Love Up, as an effort to be kind and to rescue stray dogs. We, of course, have more details on that in the interview. John Jay shares a lot more on it. Uh, but we also get into John Jay's life story and how he made it to where he is today, and of course, cover all the standout life lessons along the way. But before we jump in, I just wanted to say thank you one more time to John Jay. Thanks for being on the show, man. And thanks for being willing to share your stories with us. We appreciate it. You guys can find him on Instagram at John J. Van S. And to everyone listening, please be sure to leave a rating and a review and visit patreon.com slash Parker Kane to support the podcast. But thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Here's my interview with John J. Van S. John J. That was sick, bro. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> that was sick. Wow. Appreciate it. Coach Brett Bartholomew, did you hear that? Did you see that? <laughs> Professional beatboxer in Idaho. Wow. All right. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, hold on. I'm shutting down. Right? Coach Brett Bartholomew, legend. Yeah. This guy, one of the best trainers in the country, maybe the world, just said you were amazing. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Wow. I got to save that. I'm going to post that later. I'm here for you, Parker, whatever you need. I'm off my social media. Do you have 100%? All right, what do you need? Let's go. I already shared with you that Upbeat is motivational podcast, people finding their passion. But your story, I'm super fascinated with. When I have guests on the show, I like it to be about them and their story and how they ended up where they are today. Okay. Um, so take us from childhood. What was little John Jay? <laughs> what was little John Jay like? Wow, man. Oh. Um, you know, it's funny because I'm, I'm not prepared for this interview, but what do you have to be prepared about when you're talking about your life? I mean, what, so for me, 
I was, uh, my father's from Holland, from the Netherlands. My mother's from Mexico. Mm-hmm. So I'm a first generation American citizen. And I grew up with two parents that didn't speak English. So they, wow. they both they both had to communicate to learn English so they could fall in love with each other. Yeah. And then for me, my first language was Spanish. And I learned English by watching Sesame Street. Mm-hmm. My mom would, and Gilligan's Island, my mom would put me in front of the TV and do whatever she did. Um, we were very low income. Didn't even have a refrigerator growing up. Wow. And um, we even had a dog. We had a dog, a puppy, a, a poodle. And we weren't allowed to have it in the apartment we lived in. So we had to zip up the dog in our hoodie and walk 10 <laughs> blocks away and let the yeah. dog out to go to the bathroom. I mean, it was a crazy time. But as far as preparing me for this career, this job we have, um, I had a tape recorder and I would just always interview my mom, my dad, my sister. I played jokes on I mean, I was like eight years old and I was like, this is, this is the greatest thing that ever happened. Yeah. So yeah, so that's what I've been doing. Dang. So it was a passion that started really early on then, just tape recording and wanting to document. Yeah. In practice, I would listen to Casey Kasem on American Top 40, mm-hmm. and I would try to copy him, uh, you know, intro a song or backstell a song. But that was more into hearing the de- I remember seeing a thing on 60 Minutes, or my dad was watching the news, right? Mm-hmm. And my dad was, there was these DJs talking up songs as fast as they could. And I was yeah. like, God. And I remember as being little going, Nobody talks like that. And I was like, <laughs> and I can't talk, but I practice. I couldn't talk like that. So I always wanted to be on the radio, always. So I, I used my a tape recorder to play practical jokes. If you remember, uh, do you ever watch The Brady Bunch? I, I never have, but I've heard of it. The Brady Bunch is a, is a great classic show from the 60s. And in yeah. the 70s and 80s when I was a kid, it was it was in reruns. Mm-hmm. There's an episode where the middle brother, the middle son, Peter, has a tape recorder. Yeah. And he would record, his brothers and sisters recorded stuff on the tape recorder fake they said they pretended it was a surprise party for peter and he heard the tape so he went down for the surprise party but there wasn't one <laughs> so i used to play jokes on my sister with a tape recorder mm-hmm. so i would my sister's name was elvia i would call her avia i would sit there on the tape recorder and for i'd go into the bathroom and for 10 minutes i would go avia wake up avia avia wake up avia wake up wake up i would do it for <laughs> 10 minutes right yeah then I'd rewind it and i'd press play and i would shove it under her bed and i'd give it about a minute of silence and then I would go in the kitchen to hang out with my mom. And then all of a sudden, you would hear my sister scream from the bedroom. <laughs> John, mom, tell John Jay to leave me alone. And my mom would look at me and I'd be like, I've been here for like, mom, what's she talking about? <laughs> right? So it was the, it was the, one of the greatest rewards ever to see my Stayed sister have a mental trouble. breakdown. <laughs> and I look at my mom and go, see? So anyway, so I've been, this is what I've always wanted to do my entire life. So what were like the initial steps? Did you go to college for this? Or? I went to San Diego State. I was a film major. And you know, I, I have a, I, I have a, I go see, you know, psychiatrists all the time. I got all kinds of issues and I've analyzed a lot of stuff with my psychiatrist. And one is like, I always wanted to be on the radio, but I feel like I was afraid that I wasn't funny or good enough and I didn't have the voice for it. So I got, I actually got a job on the radio in college um, for a semester, but I got fired after the second week because I missed my shift because I went on a date with a cheerleader, and I didn't want to tell her that I had a shift, so I got fired. <laughs> Worth I got, it? Yeah, it was. It was it actually was. I got an internship at a TV station um, when I was in college, and the internship at the TV station literally sucked. It was so boring. Everything was the exact same thing all the time. Yeah, I hated it. So when that internship was up, there was an internship available at an alternative radio station, and I interviewed and they hired me, and I. I loved every second of it. And I lived 90, 45 minutes away from this radio station and I didn't have a car. Mm-hmm. So 
um, I would sleep at the radio station. I slept at the prize closet. I slept. I was in charge of the. I was driving the van around, and I would hang up the yeah. banners, and I would help the morning show do their broadcasts. And I just sucked in every piece of energy, anything I could. I was sucking information like a sponge everywhere. I watched the morning show prep. I, I hung up banners. I busted my ass. If somebody, I mean, I took the trash out. I did. I, I never. Nobody ever asked me. To, I just did it all. Right? Yeah. I want. I, I lived there, and my parents got mad because I. They, I wasn't working. So I lived at the radio station. Then I started cashing checks. I worked at the check cashing place. And my parents were like, what are you going to do for a living? I go, this is what I want to do. And they're like, they're not paying you. I worked for 10 months and three days for free. Dang. And finally, I got a job at, at that radio station, but on the AM side of the station. And I'll never forget, they were paying, my first paying job was um, $16,500 was my annual salary. And it was for a sports radio station. And... I know nothing about sports. Nothing. <laughs> yeah. I didn't care about sports then. I barely care about it now, only because I have three boys now. Right. So I'm at the sports station. I'm on the 50 yard line at football games. I'm I'm at Mike Tyson fights ringside. I'm at all these events that I don't care about. I was there when Michael Jordan won the finals for the first time. I was there. I was on the court in the Los Angeles Lakers at the forum. I was and all that stuff wasted on me because all I wanted to do was try to at one point I remember <laughs> I had to drive around. They gave me a choice at one point to drive around. Uh, Wayne Gretzky, who's a famous hockey player, or mm-hmm. Kurt Cameron, who was the star of Growing Pains. And I was like, oh my God, please give me Kurt Cameron. And because I was so geeked <laughs> over Kurt Cameron, they gave me Wayne Gretzky. Oh, now, gosh. when I look back at stuff, I, I know, wow, that was amazing. And it made me who I am. But I also got the opportunity there where the morning show, I, I, I learned a lot. The morning show there, they were called the Butt Brothers, the two heavyset dudes. And they were, they were jerks, but I, I'm glad they were jerks. They were jerks to me. So I had to take care of them and make sure that they were, you know, I did everything you're supposed to do for morning show. And I remember just all the life lessons these morons taught me. And then one day they couldn't come in and the, it was on Thanksgiving. They were supposed to come in. They didn't want to come in. They were protesting their contract. And so the boss goes, Hey, John Jay, you want to do the morning show? And I was like, yeah. And so I went on nervous as hell. And I did a whole show on AM sports station. And I didn't talk about the only thing I tied in was that like, all right, Thanksgiving, uh, call us and tell us what's your big Thanksgiving, what's your big sports turkey? So people tell us their turkey of the day. I mean, it was stupid. But anyway, so so then from there, I got the internship, I got the job there, and from the job there, I realized, I said, you know, to make money in radio, you either have to be the morning guy doing morning radio or work in radio sales. I looked at the parking lot and all the cars out in the parking lot, all the fancy cars belonged to the morning guy, radio guy, or the salespeople. They were driving the Mercedes and the Benzes and the Mercedes and the BMWs and all that. So I decided to get into radio sales. And again, when I, when I talked to my shrink, it's like I did everything you can do in radio except what I really wanted to do, which is on the radio, right? So I'm doing radio sales for a while. I'm doing I'm doing okay. It was I mean I'd wake up. I lived in San Diego. I'd wake up. I'd go surfing. I'd mm-hmm. go to a morning show. I'd go to a meeting with the sales staff, and then I'd leave and go have lunch or I'd go see a movie. Right? And then I had accounts that just came in. Radio sales is it can be stressful, but it's also it's, you can plan your own whatever. Right? You just got to bring in the, yeah. the money. And I did that for a while. And then I met my my wife, and her and I started dating. And I was at this point where I was like, I wasn't happy. And she's like, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I've always wanted to have my own radio show, right? So she's like, okay, well, how how do you do that? She goes, what are the things you want to do with your life? And I said, I want to have my own radio show or I'd like to write or perform for Saturday Night Live. Those are two things I'd like to do. And she's like, okay, well, let's pick one and let's go after it. This is my wife, Blake. She's, She's incredible. So I'm sitting there, I'm like, you know, 25 years old and I'm like, 
okay, well, doing my own radio show, that's not going to happen because you got to go do overnights somewhere in Poughkeepsie, right? Overnights from midnight to five for three years before you get moved up to middays and middays you get moved to afternoons and then nights or whatever. Then maybe you'll get a crack at a morning show after going to 30 different cities. Yeah. It's like, I'm not going to do that. So she goes, okay, let's go after Saturday Night Live. Which was, well, how do you get on Saturday Night Live? Well, if you look at people like Will Ferrell and Conan O'Brien and, and Lisa Kudrow from Friends, mm-hmm. and there's a big cast of people now that have gone on, they started at a place, two places, either Second City in Chicago, which is an improv troupe, or the Groundlings in Los Angeles. Are you familiar with either one of those? No. The, ground, the Second City in Chicago has um, John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd. You heard of those guys? John, I have. But I've, I've consumed his content. I've just heard of him. Well, those guys are legendary improv performers. Saturday Night Live cast members to this day either come from the Groundlings or Second City. Second City was the Chicago Groundlings or in L.A. Mm-hmm. So my wife goes, let's go out for the Groundlings. So I went to L.A. and I auditioned for the Groundlings and I got accepted into their troupe, into their class. And so wow. I was taking classes from them for about a year or two. And then during that time, the my my first boss, the guy that gave me 16.5, he had moved on to Cincinnati and he was running a bunch of radio stations in Cincinnati. He was running a top 40 radio station, one of them. Now he's my boss in sports radio, right? Mm-hmm. But he came from a music background. He calls me and he says, hey, we got this morning show that we're going to fire. He goes, and we want to hire somebody that's not on the radio, but we think it's really funny. And he goes, and I pitched you to our bosses. And he goes, um, they want to come meet you. And I said, okay. And they go, we're going to be in LA for the Grammys. Why don't you come to LA and meet us for dinner? And we'll go to the Grammys. And I said, okay. So I went to my boss, and I said, who I was in sales at the time. And I said, hey, can I go to LA for the Grammys? And the guy goes, you're not hitting your budget. You're not hitting your numbers. You can't, you can't go. I said, like, come on, dude, I'm going to the Grammys. When am I ever going to go to the Grammys again? Sorry, you can't go. So I told my boss, or I told my, my friend in, in Cincinnati, and he said, he goes, are you kidding me? He goes, all right, we're, we'll come down. We're going to come down and meet you in San Diego. So I just got married. Awesome. I had just got married, and I had, oh, no, I was getting married. I had just come back from my bachelor party, and I had these crazy pictures from my bachelor party. We were in New Orleans for four days. It was crazy. And so these guys come meet me at a bar, and I'm showing them the pictures, the bachelor party, I'm telling them stories, and they're all laughing, and I was just being me. Yeah. So, you know, it was great meeting the, the bosses and whatnot, and they left, went back to Cincinnati, and then I got a call in August, and they said, hey, we want to fly you out to Cincinnati, and we'd like you to do four days on the radio in Cincinnati. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> and, I, and I just got asked to be an opening act for a stand-up comedian, right? From doing the improv at the Groundlings. I'm doing improv and the guy, and this stand-up comedian says, I want you to do an open act for me. And I was like, I don't do stand-up comedy. I don't know how to do stand-up comedy. I said, I, I tell stories, I do improv. And they're like, well, figure it out. So they, no call me to, yeah, they call me to do the four days in Cincinnati. And I said, uh, I go, you know what? I got to do this opening act thing. And, the, and they put the general manager on. <laughs> and I told him no. And they called back and I get, my friend goes, are you kidding me? He goes, you just got asked to do a morning show on a major market radio station to audition and you said no? He goes, get your ass over here. So I called the comedian and I canceled. The comedian went crazy on me. He was so furious, man. He got mad at me. I said, I'm sorry. So I got on a plane and went to Cincinnati. I did four days on the radio in Cincinnati. I'd never been on the radio before except for that one time on Thanksgiving. And apparently I crushed it. I did four days on the radio, right? This is in August. September I get married. End of September I get married. Middle of October they call me and they said, you're hired. Wow. And I was like, what? So I got married, and then I moved to Cincinnati. I'd never been anywhere outside of Arizona or San Diego and Mexico. Never been in the snow. So I go to Cincinnati, and, ne- and this is October, end of October 1996. 
by December, my show was the number one show in Cincinnati. By November, I had already won best, all these best of awards. I didn't know what I was doing. My boss says to me, he goes, I don't care what time it is. I don't care what the weather's like outside. I don't care about the name of the radio station. I don't care what song you played. I just want you to open the microphone and have fun. So that's what I did, right? So that's kind of what I did. So then my show crushes it in the ratings in Cincinnati, like everywhere. I mean, it was a great learning experience because, you know, mm-hmm. the ego got out of control. I mean, you know, all the stuff. <laughs> I mean, it was, I was a jerk. I was wearing sunglasses all the time. I mean, I was like, you know, it wasn't all, it, I mean, it was a great story. Though. All these amazing things in Cincinnati. It was at a station called Q102. So I went from, all of a sudden I got a call from the competitors. They approached me at an event. My competitor said, we don't want you in Cincinnati anymore. How about we pay you this much money and you go to Houston and your country radio? I was like, what? And I said, I'm not interested. They go, look. And they gave me a crap ton of money. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I got to go. And (laughs) there was a life lesson there because I was miserable. I was in Houston for four years and I was miserable in Houston. And I learned I'll never, ever, ever take a job for money again, ever. So when you, you talk about inspiration and motivation, I'm telling you, man, money, people think money, money, money. It's not about the money. You've got to be happy. It's your, your, your quality of life. It's about what's happy. My wife and I moved to Houston. They were paying me a crap ton of money. Working at the radio station was miserable. The staff was miserable. Management was miserable. People would smoke in the building. My wife got pregnant. We, couldn't, we, we had twin girls. They died. I mean, it was just it was the worst experience I could ever have. So then I got a job offer. I, I kind of got fired. Mm-hmm. I didn't get fired, but I did get fired. It's one of those where the station got sold and the new owners came in and said, we don't want to pay you. So the other company had to buy out my contract. So they gave me, so essentially I got fired, but they paid me not to go to work there anymore. So yeah. I, which like I said, it was a nice chunk of change. So I, I got paid a lot of money to leave. So at that moment I got job offers from everywhere washington dc chicago um san diego uh seattle all these radio stations uh, were offering me jobs which is great yeah at the time then i got a job in uh, offer in la so i went to do country radio in la for three weeks and that's kind of where i was doing la radio for three weeks and that's kind of when i met rich so my wife and i were like rich is listening to me online and he's calling me hey man where do you want to be part of your show he was in dallas part of the show there or on the beach and then he goes um I go, okay, my wife and I'm like, we're going to focus on having a family, so I need somebody to to do stuff for me so I can focus on a family. I need. To, I would get at the radio station at 3 a.m. and I'd stay till 6 p.m., right? So now yeah. I want to have a family. I got to go home. So I brought Rich on board, and I got a job offer in Tucson, and it's a small city, right? It's beautiful, and that's where I grew up mm-hmm. before I moved to San Diego. I lived in Tucson, Tucson, Arizona. So the boss there said to me, the same thing my first boss said. He goes, I don't care if you play songs. I don't care what time it is. I don't care. He goes, I want you to come in and have fun. So I took a massive pay cut. Massive. Like, again, it wasn't about the money anymore. I didn't care about the money. I took a pay cut and I went to Tucson. And I took my salary and I paid Rich with my salary. I was like, hey, you know, here's how much money I can give you. You do want to come with me to Tucson. So we went to Tucson. And just to give you a note, that boss that I had in Tucson that told me that, he is now runs Z100 in New York City. So he runs crazy. the number one radio station in the world Dang. right now, right? I mean, that's crazy, right? The first boss that told, told me that, 
he runs the number one hip hop station in Los in, in the country, but in Los Angeles. So those two guys are at the top of their game. They weren't when they, I mean, they were going there. So these are the two guys that gave me advice. That's the advice they gave me, and they're number one, right? I mean, they're mm-hmm. incredible human beings. I talk to them every day. I talk to them this morning, both those guys. So I go to Tucson, and we do our our thing. We start getting, it reminded me so much of Cincinnati because we just started getting press after press after press doing what we wanted to do. And then immediately we took over Phoenix. We went to Phoenix, and then we took over, uh, we went to Colorado Springs, we went to Portland, and then they put us on in Phoenix. I mean, so they put us on San Diego and Denver, uh, Fort Collins, and it's just kind of grown. So here we are now. This, that's so. There's my that's my story. Yeah. Did, did I bore you? No, no, I'm totally in this. I love it. And there's a few lessons there a, too. One, a lot of lessons. One, not about the money. That's important, man. Yeah. If, if I wish I had someone to give me that advice. You know, but I, like I told you, I came from very low income, right? So when I told my dad, my dad always gave me, when I told my dad, hey, I got this job offer to go to Houston and they're offering me this much money. It was more money than my dad ever, my dad, the most amount of money my dad ever made. When we were married, he made $30,000 a year. That's the most money he ever made. And we felt rich at the time. When he, years later, he was a tour guide and he made about $80,000 a year, but my parents were already divorced. We were separate. I was already in college, right? So, mm-hmm. so when I told my dad how much money I was making, he never... He, he was like, you better take, I even said, well, I was thinking about asking for this. And he goes, don't be so greedy. Just take it. So I took this job for money and I was miserable, but I also wouldn't be where I am right now if I wouldn't have taken that job. So it's kind of weird, you know? Yeah. Everyone's got a a story, a path, but yeah. So one, not about money, but two, the importance of being authentic and being yourself and doing the thing. Like one of the questions I like to ask guests is what's the best advice you've ever received? And would you say that it's what your bosses said about just be yourself and have fun? When when it comes to radio, when it comes to doing a radio show, that's that's great advice. Just well, when I went to Houston, part of the miserable part of Houston is they brought mm-hmm. me in a they hired a talent coach for me because I'd never I'd never been coached. I was just yeah. crazy. <laughs> so they brought this talent Going coach. For it. Can you cuss on this podcast? I'm okay. <laughs> this talent coach was a massive a hole. He was he was man. He humiliated me. He would play audio of my show in front of the whole staff and go, "Why would you do that? Why would you do that?" Right? But my God, that guy. And I didn't see it then. Mm-hmm. Later, when I left and I was in Tucson, I realized this guy was magic. This guy was this guy made me a radio personality. Before that, I was just a maniac on the radio doing stuff. But now I learned radio from this guy. So they say, you know, you can't teach somebody personality, but you can teach them radio. So this guy taught me radio. In fact, full circle moment, I hired that talent coach five years ago and I use him to this day. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, he teaches me, he's, he's brutal, but he makes me a better radio guy. You know, know, it's so many times people just talk and talk and talk. There's no point. You got to have a beginning, middle and end, beginning, middle. And this guy's always get to it, get to it, get to it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And he's taught me so much. So here I was in this miserable situation having to meet with this guy every day. Yeah. But it made me better. But as far as advice on life, the best advice I ever got from anybody was my father. My father was always giving me advice, always. And he always said, you know, you've heard this a million times, do something you love, you'll never have to work again. So there's that. He also said, think big. Think big. You think in any way. Which I had to say to him when I said, Dad, they offered me this much money, but I think I want to add for, ask for this. And he was like, don't be greedy. And I was like, you said think big. And he goes, that is big. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> Perfect. So now... 2019, mm-hmm. if someone wants to pursue a similar path, what kind of advice would you have for them? At what point are they on the path? The listeners of this podcast primarily are between the ages of 20 and 34. 
So they're they're college and and graduating college and making big decisions in their lives. Well, you know, there's there's everybody has their own path, man. You know, it's yeah. like the guy could be ninety trying to, or somebody could be seventy trying to start a career. Uh, I mean, you got to do what you love. Yeah, and I think to do this. You got to know a little about a lot of things. Does that make sense? Yes. Because I'm not yeah. an expert in anything. You also got to have fun, man. You also got to, like, sometimes, like, like last week, I came home from vacation, and there was all this stress in my house. It was just, just crazy stress, right? And when I look at the stress, I told my wife, and she's like, how come you're so calm? And I go, let me tell you, I'm calm. And I was on Instagram, and somebody I know that, that I follow, I, this is not to bring sad, but their son had passed away. You know, fifteen-year-old kid, brain brain cancer, brain tumor. I went to visit him in the hospital many times, and he died. And I was like, I said, to Blake, I go, look, man, look at our three boys. Look at us. We're healthy. Our life is great. I said, oh my god. So, so the uh, the ceiling fans don't work in our house. So what? Right. So the house didn't get clean while we were gone. So what? All I mean, all these things. So what? Air conditioner broke. So what? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, just like, like unnecessary stress with the things that aren't. Life or death. Yeah, I mean, we have health. We have happiness. We have this fun ride. Who knows where it's going now, but it's a lot of fun. So the best advice I ever got, my father was full of advice. You know, like, he would always leave me notes. My father passed away, but he would leave me notes and newspaper articles and give me books on motivation. So there's a whole bunch of stuff. But yeah, so advice I have for somebody, you know, there's the thing about school. I believe you should stay in school, but I don't know if you necessarily need to study radio. Which is, I don't know if that's going to go against a lot of people's beliefs, but I think, you know, because I, I didn't. Yeah. You got to, I think improv is important. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, man, you can hear it, you can hear it every day of people denying segments. You yeah. have to accept in advance. You know what I mean? You know, the law, you know, the rules of improv. If I say to you, here, I'm holding like an apple, eat this apple. And you go, that's an orange. No, it's not. You just killed my bit. You've got to accept it. Yes. Thank you for that apple. <laughs> this is the best apple I've ever had. Here, let me give it to this witch. You know what I mean? Yeah. You have to accept what I say in advance. And a lot of people in radio, you'll be like, all right, so we need you to uh, shave. You're going to shave your head today. And you'll be like, uh, I'm not shaving my head. We need you to shave your head. You're like, okay, I'm shaving my head. Whatever you need. You know what I mean? You have to accept yeah. it. I'm being dr- dramatic. There obviously <laughs> yeah. should be a meeting before that happens. But <laughs> but you know, if you're on the air and you're like, all right, so hey, let's see who can run down the hallway the fastest. I'm not running down the hallway. You're doing it yourself. Well, you just killed my bit. We gotta, we're going to run down the hallway the fact. You know what I mean? You've got to yeah. accept it and do it. Maybe you don't want to, but you don't want to kill the bit. you got to go. True. Oh, and there's some real synergy between you and Suzette and Kyle Unfug and Rich. Like, how did, mm. how did everyone become a part of your show? Well, it's weird how it all happened. Well, I told you how I got Rich on there. Yeah. And then we had, you know, we had, this is a, such a crappy phrase, but you know how you get what you pay for? Like we didn't have a lot of money. So, you know, in the very beginning, you know, I gave m- part of my salary for Rich. So it was just him and me. And I would mm-hmm. answer phones during commercials. Yeah. Then we got some interns. Then we hired an intern. Then we got more. We had started getting, we, were, we invested in our show. Even to this day, half our staff, we pay for ourselves, not the company. You know what I mean? So yeah. we brought a woman on and she was a nightmare, but you get what you pay for. And finally, we, we, we got some equity in our show. We were able to let her go. Yeah, and Kyle was on the radio station doing stuff, and she was so talented. She was so funny, and she was so she was you know early twenties, and she's like dating, and she's like her life, and she had this great per- and she's beautiful, and she's hilarious, and she's humble. So we're like, we got to get her. So she's been with us for like ten years now, eleven years or something like that. And then, you know, then Suzette. It was funny because we were like, 
she, Kyle got pregnant and Suzette filled in for her. Mm-hmm. And it was just so much fun, so much chemistry. We're yeah. Like, we had to keep her, so we found a way to keep her. So that's how that happened. So that's, and then, and what's funny now is if you look around the country, uh-huh. there's all these other shows copying our format, our formula. Yeah, no, I've seen that. Yeah. It's crazy, but it just happened. Like it wasn't like we studied it and we researched <laughs> it. So they're taking our formula and they're doing it all. They're, just, they're getting a little Latina, they're getting an attractive, smart blonde. The thing is, too, the women on our show are very beautiful, mm-hmm. but they're very smart, yeah. very independent, very humble, and just, and very driven, all of them. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's amazing. I feel like you, you have to be to get up that early. <laughs> yeah, you do. And they get up early because they, 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 that's another thing. A woman we used to work with before, she literally came in with torn up sweats and messed up hair and just never put makeup on. Yeah. And it, it is what it is. But then when Kyle joined the show, Kyle took it up a notch because she's never dresses down. Yeah. She always comes in looking great. And so does Suzette or hip. You know what I mean? They never mm-hmm. look, I've never seen Kyle, as long as I've known Kyle and Suzette, but Suzette's been with us for like two years. But as long as I've known Kyle, she's never not looked like a 10. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that one of the things I wanted to get to as well is like, how do you do it? Like work life balance? Cause you get up super early. You spend a lot of time on the show. What happens afterwards? Well, for me, it's like, I, I believe like my life is prep. Yeah. My life is show prep. So when I get off the air, if I go, when I leave the radio station, I'm not quote leaving work. I'm just changing the environment. Cause I'm always looking for something that I can bring to the show. You know, I can show you my phone. If I, show, my, my, I take notes all day on things that happen, on things that I want to put on the show. So, so, so this, this is like, this is the last couple of days of notes. And then I erase as I go on after I do it, right? Like, look, uh, 17th Street Nam, and I take, oh, I thought this was a funny line. Instead of saying, takes a toll on my body, wrote, takes a toll on my body. And I write <laughs> these stuff down, like, not, not that I'm ever going to get to it, but that, you know, just to have ideas, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Three rule. I mean, there's, anyway, there's all these little notes I write to myself, and then I and then I go at night, I narrow it down, and then in the morning I narrow it down, and then I try, I try to run some of my storytelling by a couple of people without letting them know that mm-hmm. I'm running this my my bit by them. Yeah. You know, like I'll be like, hey, let me do happened yesterday, or I tell them something, and and if I get a laugh out of it, I'll go, okay, I'll rework that. Kind of like a stand-up comic. You know how stand-up comics you always hear like Jerry Seinfeld working out. They come on stage, they work out their segments. I try out my bits on real people before I put them on the radio and then I test them on the radio. Most of the time they, they work out. Okay. Yeah. It's about, I like to tell stories. Mm -hmm. So when I leave the radio show, I'm prepping all day long, all day long. If it's something on TV, if it's something I see online, if it's a meme, if it's whatever's interaction, I have my wife. I also, if I go somewhere and there's a safe path and a not safe path, I take the not safe path. You know, I can either, if I got invited to go somewhere, I don't want to go, but I know if I go, I might have a story to tell. Yeah. So that's kind of why you got to do that kind of thing too, you know? It's like opportunity cost. Like if you go there, there'll be something. But if you don't go, you never know what would have happened. Right. It's like I tell my son, uh, you know, he goes to these, he's a basketball player. And like I told you, I don't know anything about sports, but I also know about winning is what I tell him. And I was like, I'm like <laughs> yeah. Look, if you go, we go to this basketball camp where you train with this one guy, this one trainer, and you walk out of there with one extra piece of information that's going to make you a better basketball player. Why wouldn't you go there? You don't need to walk out with 30 things. That's great if you do. But if you walk out with one thing that makes you better after spending two hours there, then why wouldn't you do that? Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. So kind of an interesting question. If you could make one rule that everyone had to follow, what rule would you make? Be nice. Yeah. Yeah. Be nice to each other. That's a problem. That would eliminate a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't really have to think that much about it, you know? Yeah. 
Like that's the problem. There's so many people that it's so easy to be nice and so many people aren't nice. Mm-hmm. You know? And just be real, be genuine. Uh, you got to be real and be genuine. You know, when you said that, it was a compliment when you talked, you said uh, uh, being authentic, that I was authentic. I, I've tried to be that my entire life. Mm-hmm. You got to be as real as you can. I think people can see through that BS. They can. You know, when someone's telling a lie or saying they did this and did that, and you're like, oh, like it makes me tune out. Mm-hmm. Like if someone's telling me a story and I don't believe them, I'm just like, oh, okay. And I'm, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like you got it. And on. I think listeners can tell that when yep. you listen to the show. So you got to be real. Yeah, no, I I love listening to your guys' show um, on my work commute uh, in the mornings, and I feel like I was able to sense through that because I've listened to a lot of uh, radio shows. I be, being a podcaster myself, like I love listening to podcasts too, mm-hmm. and you can just tell when people are being fake mm-hmm. or when they're trying to sell you something. It's like a it's like a sixth sense that humans mm-hmm. have. They're just like, okay, not that's not genuine. You know? Isn't that crazy? Yeah, you, you can good. tell. How how do you think things would be different in your life if you weren't doing John Jane Rich right now? You mean, and I was doing on like another radio show, or or, if or even if radio? like, or even if some of those opportunities didn't happen, and and um, like, do you think you would be writing for Saturday Night Live, or do you think? <laughs> I know it's so funny how it's just like a an instant that things can change, you know, like yeah. there I was going for the groundlings doing improv and and thinking that was my path. If I, I can tell you this, you remember when I told you I did three weeks in LA? Yeah. So here I did three weeks in LA and I didn't have anybody to do a show with. So my sister who was was working T V mm-hmm. I said, I need somebody to answer phones. So she answered phones for me and she goes, I have this friend of mine that works with me. She he's a writer. She used to do this T V show called Rescue Nine One One with William Shatner. She goes, this guy, Ken, he's so funny. She goes, yeah. let me bring him in. I go, okay. So she brought Ken in. So when I did the show in LA, Ken is who I bounced off of, right? I was like, hey, Ken. And then and uh, my sister also had this other friend named Kristen. So Kristen and Ken came on the show with me. You know where they are now? Ken is the head writer for Saturday Night Live. Wow. Kristen is Kristen Wiig, the actress Kristen Wiig. Dang. They both went into the Groundlings after me. I told them, I go, you guys got to do this Groundlings stuff. He's the head writer for Saturday Night Live. Do you get what I'm saying? <laughs> That's like, sweet. So when you say where would my path go, I don't know, but I can tell you I've helped a lot of people go other, <laughs> take their path to the next level. So you've built solid networks, so no matter what happens, like, you'll be good. Yeah, network is important. Definitely. I love it. Well, two, two other topics I just want to make sure to touch. I know we're limited What's on that? time. What do you need, Parker? One, the Love Pup monster the foundation how did that kick off and and that's even why you're here in idaho right now Mm -hmm. but how did how did love pup come to be well you bring up the word authentic right genuine and that's a lot of people start these foundations for wrong reasons and i i hate to attack athletes but a lot of athletes they have foundations because they're making 100 million dollars a year and they got to need a tax write-off right so they create the whatever foundation which is great because people benefit but with love pup and love (laughs) up those are those happened because there was a need for it and because of stuff that happened in our life. You know, the Love Up Foundation, Love Pup started because of Love Up. Love Up started because my son, my son Kemp was a football player and was playing for a guy named Kurt Warner, who was a Hall of Famer and in three Super Bowls. And he was coaching my son. And Kurt was in LA and couldn't be at a game. And he was texting me and texting me and texting me about how's it going with the game. And I was like, your son just threw a pass to my son, touchdown. And he texted me and he goes, love up. And he goes, oops, I mean, love it. He goes, stupid autocorrect, right? So he said, love up, right? So I looked at love up on the text and I go, I'm, I'm on a football field. And I look at it, I go, 
I text him, I go, dude, love up. And I go, hashtag love up. That's huge. Take that. You need to make that something that could be powerful. And he goes, ha ha ha, LOL. Right. And I go, no, no, no. So I left there and I thought, <laughs> You're like, really though, I thought, man, cause there's all these, you know, religion and all this stuff. And I thought, what if you love up hashtag love up and you take time out of your, remember I said, be nice to people. You take time out of your day, one time a day to be nice to somebody. What if you just nice? And that could be what love up is, reminding people to be nice every day. Then I thought, well, let's start off by taking time out of your day to just thank up, thank, bless up. DJ Khaled stole that from me. But you go, <laughs> take a second to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Muhammad. Thank you, Allah. Thank you, Buddha. Thank you, whatever you believe in. Or maybe you just believe in a higher spiritual power. Take a second to go, thank you for my life. Thank you for everything that's happening to me. Thank you. And then from that moment on, it was like, okay, now I'm going to take that power and I'm going to try to help people. I'm going to say thank you and I'm going to do nice things for people. So the Love Up Foundation was created. And so what we started doing is I, I was talking about it, hashtag Love Up. And this guy came into the studio the next day and he made a t-shirt, hashtag Love Up on the t-shirt. <laughs> and I, go, I, I took the picture, I took the t-shirt, I put it on, I took a picture on my Instagram. I go, hey, check out this t-shirt. You want to get one? Call this guy. So a month later it goes by and he's back at the radio station. I'm like, hey, man, what's up? And he's like, hey, I, I got this envelope for you. He hands me this envelope, and it is a check for $25,000. I said, what's this for? Dang. He goes, that's the percentage I'm giving you from all the T-shirts we sold. I was like, what? <laughs> we need to come up with another one. So I took that $25,000. We bought like a school, school supplies. We bought water for the homeless, and you know, we did. So then we started making more T-shirts and more T-shirts, more T-shirts, and we raised like $500,000. We paid for kids to go to college. We paid, sent food to to soldiers in Japan and in Afghanistan. We tried, we're, the Love Up Foundation has done all kinds of stuff, right? Yeah. So now with that, now keep in mind, I'm gonna go back right, right around about six, seven months after Love Up started. My wife calls me and says, somebody by our kid's school found a chihuahua and they're moving, they don't have time to help, and they just gave it to me. I'm like, well, send me pictures of chihuahua. So she sent me pictures of chihuahua. I was like, okay, let me put it on Instagram and see if somebody wants a chihuahua. I don't know what I'm doing, right? <laughs> so I post this chihuahua. And do and, you have John Jay and Rich already up and going, right? Like oh, yeah, is, we've been rolling. We've been rolling 10 years already before Love Pup and Love Up. Okay. We were doing John Jay and Rich Cares for Kids, which is a different foundation. We were just doing every, anything we could to help kids because, mm -hmm. you, know, um, you know, my wife and I have three kids. We struggled through loss. We've we gone through adoption. So we're trying to do everything we could to help kids. Yeah. So now we got the Love Up Foundation. And then she finds this chihuahua. And so I put pictures on Instagram. And all these people want this chihuahua. I mean, it was crazy. And I was like, oh my God. So I met this family that I picked. When I met them at a park, and I said, yeah, I'll bring the dog to you. So I brought the dog, and when I gave them the chihuahua, the way their faces lit up, and the way that chihuahua, which was just stranded in an alley, this family was moving, didn't want the chihuahua anymore, they dumped it. Like when this family, lit, this new family gave them the chihuahua, the way they lit up, it was absolute magic what I saw happen. So, quick backstory. I've set up five people on dates, Five people, and I go, you'd be perfect for this person. You'd be perfect for this person. All five of those people got married. Hook me up, dude. Right? I hook you up. Dude, I'm good. <laughs> so I sit on the air. I go, man, what I saw happen here with this dog, I go, I'm better at hooking up people with their pets than I am with people getting married. And that was the end. It blew up. I had all these messages going, we just found this dog in this apartment complex. My dog is sick. My mom got put into an uh, into, uh, old folks' home, and she has two dogs. Can you take care of them? So I was taking in all these dogs. And I was, yeah, sure. So I was... It, was, it just got so, and then somebody called up one day and they were like, 
hey, you got to love up. Why don't you do love pup? I was like, oh my God, that's a great idea. So I did a hashtag love pup shirt and those shirts started selling. So now I'm I'm like meeting people in parking lots, giving out dogs and doing this stuff. Learning. All of a sudden somebody's like, hey, I found this stray dog. I had 17 puppies. Can you take them? I'm like, yeah, sure. And my do- my wife, she loves dogs. So she's like, oh my God. So she's bringing in all these dogs and all these dogs are sleeping in bed with my kids. I got 37 dogs in my house. And it's a, so then as time has gone on, we it's grown. But I didn't realize how competitive a lot of these dog rescues are. And I don't care. I, I One of the things with me is I never charge anybody a dime. So I got a sick dog. I was paying for it out of my own pocket. My wife and I were like, you know, we're spending thousands of dollars on out of our own pocket on fixing these dogs and helping these dogs. And so finally, this money from the T-shirt was coming in. It was helping a little bit. But it got so out of hand, man. So I said to my wife one day, this, this rescue, this big rescue in town was like, why don't you guys come? We'll help you. We'll give you a couple kennels and we can help. I'm like, okay. So let's invite a couple other rescues to join us. They're like, no, 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 we don't, we don't do that. So we met in the parking lot. We did this little tiny little, they brought some food carts out. And I, all I did was promote it on social media. I never talked about it on the air. And thousands of people showed up at this event. And it was with one rescue, a bigger rescue in town. And I said to my wife, I said, forget this. I go, we, we need to do our own. I go, I want to do our own. And I want to invite every dog rescue. I don't care about the competition. I don't care. That's not what we're in it for. You know, some people charge four, five, six hundred bucks a dog. Ours is free. All I care about is that you love the dog and you send me pictures of you loving the dog. And then a lot of the dog racers got mad at me because you're not vetting out these people. I'm like, I am vetting them out. Trust me, more than you are. I said, if somebody asks, someone friend, before I pick someone to get a dog, they message me on Instagram. I scroll through their life. I go back 188 weeks. And if I see something 90 weeks ago that you were driving and you had a beer in your hand, I don't think you're right for my dog. You know what I mean? You don't get one of my dogs. Like, yeah. I mean, I'm exaggerating, the, the, but I, if there's something I don't like, they don't get a dog from me. Yeah. So it started, so we decided, I said, we'll call it like Love Pup Family Fest. This friend of mine who grew up with had a farm, Kono Vertuccio. And I'm like, Kono, can we use your farm for something? He goes, yeah, sure. So I had just become friends with this singer named Max. He does that song, Lights Down Low. Oh, turn yeah. The lights, turn the lights I, I grew up watching him on like Nickelodeon yes. and stuff. So Max and I really hit it off, right? So I go, Max, I'm doing this dog rescue van. I'm a little scared. And you, can you, will you do it? He goes, yeah, man, when? I go, it was like September. He goes, yeah, I'll be there. So Max says he'll be there. So I'll make it free to enter the public. There's food. There's 45 dog rescues that are coming, right? My mm-hmm. wife sets this whole thing up with a bunch, with a couple of the people. And I think Jenny, I don't, I'm not sure Jenny was on board yet. So we do this thing. It's on a Friday night. I'm hoping for 500 people. Yeah. Right. So I get in the Uber and I get there to get dropped off because my wife was already there setting stuff up and it's bumper to bumper traffic. I can't get in and the police or stuff. There's helicopters flying over. So I mean, it must've been an accident or something. And it turns out it was people for our love pup family fest. We had over 10,000 people show up 10,000. Every dog got adopted. Dang. Every, and I was like, Oh my God. Again, going back to being authentic. That was a, a real thing that came from a real need. And so 10,000 people showed up at this thing and I was like, and then not only that, but then the radio station, you know, they sold sponsorships, they made money. And then part of that sponsorship money came to our foundation. So the foundation made like $20,000. This is the part that was magical about it too. We asked people to come for free, but you know, bring some dog food, bring some, bring some, um, puppy pads, you know? So all these people brought all this stuff. So 10,000 people brought stuff. So we had piles of stuff. And at the end of the night, my wife goes to all the dog rescues. Now you, you run a dog rescue. You're, you're not making money. It's not a lucrative career, right? Yeah. So we said to all the dog rescues, all that stuff right there, it's all yours. Take what you want. 
they all started crying. So all these people are running, all these dog race people are running, just taking handfuls of dog food and and puppy pads and leashes and collars and loaded up their cars. And that's where it all went. So it was an, an amazing, magical night. So then we did the next one. It's also in Tucson, so they wanted to do it. We did it in Tucson. And the radio station made money, and the dog rescue, Love Pup, made money, and all the dog rescues got their dogs adopted, and they all got supplies. Then we did it again in Phoenix. We had 15,000 people show up in Phoenix. It was crazy. Then, we, then Augusta, Georgia called us. We're not even on the air in Augusta. We did it there. Small town. We're not even on there. We had 6,000 people show up there, right? All the dogs got adopted. So now we have it here tonight. I'm excited. Who knows, it. man? This is the first time we've done it somewhere where we don't have like a name band or a band or something. But I don't know. I think there's four bands playing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. So that's so that's kind of where we are. So that's Love Pup. Band. I've told you my whole life, dude. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Well, a lesson there is take an idea, work for it, run with it. Because well, that's you know that goes back to what ha, I said. Ha ha. Lol. Like no, it's a real thing. Right. Dude. Well, <laughs> that goes back to what I said. Accept in advance. Yeah. Right. Kurt Warner shot the bit down. I said, dude, take that. Use that for your foundations. Mm-hmm. You came up with it by mistake. Take it. He said, no, haha, LOL. He shot the bit down. Yeah. Except in advance. You know, now it's, it's huge. True. It's huge. It needs to be bigger. I need, uh, it, it should be bigger and it probably is going to get bigger, but it's like, it can only do so much. Well, if you ever <laughs> need some uh, beatbox or advertisements. Let's go. I'm right here. Give for me a it. love puppy beatbox racks now. What do you got? <laughs> love pup that's sick dude that's sick (laughs) thanks man uh last topic i wanted to hit on really was you're super humble but you know a lot of people uh a-list celebrities what's been like some of the best experiences or some of the favorite people you've connected with and Mm. do you have any stories from that so like on interviews stuff or like friends both like, uh, I mean I've seen because I've been working with star for a year and a half and mm-hmm. making content and with love pup I know you've met like Ed Sheeran and oh yeah and yeah. like some other people but yeah friends wise too like who who's in your circle like uh, Katy Perry and I were really good friends for a long time she was texting me all the time in fact one time she texted me <laughs> she was uh, in concert she's like hey I'm in Phoenix tonight are you coming out I'm mm-hmm. like it's freaking 10 o'clock at night I said, I got to get up. And she <laughs> went on three in the sta- morning. She went on stage and tore me to pieces. Like, Jaja would come out to my concert tonight. I'm like, oh my God. I got all these messages next morning. Same with Enrique Iglesias. Him and I were good friends too. I actually changed my number and I haven't given my new number because he called me all the time. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. It got, in fact, it got so crazy. Enrique Iglesias, this is going to be graphic, but him and I would send each other poop pictures. <laughs> but, but Enrique would like, he would say, hey, I'm, uh, I'm in town after the concert. Let's go grab a bite to eat. And I'm like, what time? He's like, well, I'll probably get off around midnight, so let's grab some to get some tacos at one. I go, dude, I get up at three. I gotta be working at three. I go, if this was a weekend, maybe. Yeah. But, but so a lot of these guys, like, I mean, and, and this, I'm giving you the short version. I mean, we have a long yeah. history of friendship, you know, good friendship with um, Kurt Warner, obviously the the quarterback. I mean, him and I would we were going to vacation in Cabo all the time. Um, Frankie Munez <laughs> is random, but he's a very good friend of mine. He used to live down the street from me. He picked me up. We go play basketball. Agent Cody Banks. Yep. <laughs> um, as far as like interview, well, Ed Sheeran. I mean, Ed, we've interviewed several times. He's a good guy. Um, Bieber. We were on his first interview with Bieber. Bieber and I go way, way back. I mean, like if Bieber was here right now, he'd be like, "What's up?" John? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. We got a good friend. Good friendship. We used to text each other too. Um, who? Oh, Oprah was probably one of the best radio interviews we've ever done, ever, ever. She yeah. was, she talked to us for thirty minutes. She was amazing. Yeah. Yes, yeah, but I mean, I'm like humble bragging about the celebrities. If they, but it, I don't really have a lot of friends. So, 
you know, I text every once in a while a couple people, but that's about it. Yeah. yeah. More about your circle at the radio station and with your family. Yeah, it's all about my family. I, I, I'm a little concerned for when my kids move out because I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, because everything I do is with them. Mm-hmm. You know, they were going to be here with us right now, but they got school. School started Monday, and we're. I'm a little. I get a little anxiety that we're not prepared. Yeah. But, yeah. You guys will kill it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I just, I think there's a lot to say about people being people. You know, mm-hmm. I, I've been trying to boost my confidence in in interviewing people. Um, I've met with beatboxing, like I've opened for Andy Grammer and the Beach Boys. Like I've met some cool people, mm-hmm. and at first I was terrified. I was just terrified to meet Andy Grammer. And when I did, like he could tell, and he he could tell it was just like. And he just told me, he's like, look, we all put our pants on the same way, one leg at a time. You know, he's like, we're all people. Um, and I think that's a really, really important message, too. And I, Taylor Lautner, too, I think, is where I saw this or heard this. But um, from Twilight, he was on an interview with Ellen or something. And they were just like, hey, what do you do on a Friday night? Do you have just like tons of rich friends you go party with? And he's like, no, I just watch Netflix and order pizza, <laughs> you know, and it was, it shocked the crowd a little bit to realize like he lives a normal life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Both those guys, um, have done a lot of stuff with the iHeartRadio music festival. Mm-hmm. Andy Grammer's done, I think we've done three love pup interviews with him. Wow. Where he's playing, he, he changed the lyrics of his songs and sang to puppies. Mm-hmm. He's a good guy. Good heart. That's awesome. Well, just quick rundown of questions, kind of speed round. Sure. Um, let's see. Um, favorite TV show? Will and Grace. Will and Grace. How come? It's so funny. It's just <laughs> it's to me the funniest show on TV. Awesome. Uh, favorite word? Uh, it doesn't have to be one you say all the time, but just one you love. Favorite word? Oh my god, such a! And you said quick. I, I, I. <laughs> favorite word? Favorite word is is win. Win. Hmm. Win. Yeah. DJ Le- Khaled comes to mind. All I do is win, win, win. win, win. win. <laughs> Positive. Gratitude. Yeah. yeah. Love, love up, love put. Love, that's a great word. <laughs> I, I usually ask favorite platform too, but I feel like yours is Instagram. Did, did I get that right? You mean social media platform? Yes. My favorite platform is radio. <laughs> yeah, I like Instagram. Okay, that brings up another question just real quick because mm-hmm. I work in radio and I do social. What's like your response when people say radio is dying? How? Like social media and radio need to work together, you know. Oh, I agree with that. I think okay. radio and social media should work together to help. It's it's great. Like the way I do the radio show, I like to say, mm-hmm. hey, man, I did this interview with Parker. Yeah. Uh, you got to, in fact, you could go to my Instagram, see the picture and swipe up. Yeah. Like I like doing that. You know, the media mix. Work. Yeah. But when people say radio is dying. That's one of the most ridiculous things. They've been saying that for years. They said it when yeah. cable came on. They said it when satellite <laughs> radio came on. They said it now with all these apps. Radio, do you know radio's never been bigger than it is now? Yeah, like, voice is n- huge. More people listen. I mean, look at podcasting right now. Podcasting is huge, right? Yes. You know what podcasting is? Radio. Old-time radio shows. <laughs> we used to do radio. Man, before, see what happened here. And I, I, No one's ever brought this up and all these smart people that do all these interviews on on investments and money and all this stuff. Radio changed the way they do ratings. People used to write down what they, some markets still do that, right? Yeah. Write down. Bigger markets have what's called a PPM. It's like a a pager. You carry a pager and it picks up what people are hearing. And that's how the ratings go. What happens is they realize that people change the station or these little devices change. You have to, it's not compelling enough. So they make you go really fast, fast, Mm -hmm. fast. And, And interviews don't test well on PPM. 
the, the, the personal people meter. So what happens is now all these radio shows have changed the way they do radio so that they can play the PPM game. They're doing whatever these little meters do. So now what happened is there's this thirst for long-form content, yeah. which is what radio used to be. A lot of good radio shows were long-form content. So now pops up the podcast. Yeah. The podcast is literally old radio shows. It is talking. This right here, this is how I did my first, my 10 years of radio. You sit there and talk. Yeah. But now you can't because now it's like, oh my God, PPM says the people tuned out six minutes in. You have six minutes to get them to do something. You got to move on. You got to play a song. Right? That's yeah. the way it is now. There, But now- now podcasts are huge. You look at iHeartRadio, they're pushing podcasts, podcast, podcast, right? Yeah. Long form radio. Which, so radio's not dead. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. Or dying. It's bigger than it's ever been. Yeah. Well, and I think voice is huge. I listen to a lot of people that talk about that, like podcasting, Google Home, Amazon Alexa, like those mm-hmm. kinds of things, just voice in general is just going to get bigger well, and bigger. Well, what I think is, is it's it's um, intimacy. Mm-hmm. Like if someone's listening to this podcast right now, first of all, thank you for listening, especially if you listen this long, <laughs> but most likely you got headphones on and you're by yourself. So you're listening. It's just intimate. You're listening to Parker. Talk to John Jay. John Jay. Talk to Parker. You're eavesdropping on this conversation. Right. So that's, that's rare. That's intimate. That's companionship. Yeah. Right? And that's what never going to go away. Mm-hmm. Now there's an art form to it. You got to do it right. Like I, this is podcast that I was hoping it was really good. It's about basketball. You know, like I said, I don't know much about sports. So I'm learning. Mm-hmm. And God, it is so annoying. I can't listen to it because they're just trying to be like, hey, hey. And doing all this, I'm like, oh, God, I don't want to hear that. You know? Yeah. Well, and going back to authenticity and being genuine, this is the most genuine it can get because it's literally like they're a fly on the wall with right. with our conversation, which right. you can't get that just turning on the TV or, or whatever. Right. Um, to, to kind of close things out, I just wanted to see if you could give it your best shot, uh, an attempt at beatboxing. Sure. <laughs> you want to teach me a little bit? Sure, dude. Um, okay. Is there a way to go move your lips? Or... <laughs> that was perfect. Oh. My, my sons do. They... <laughs> so you go... <laughs> Wait, no, no, hold on. My name is John Jay, and that's a fact. It worked great. <laughs> you got some talent, man. Thanks, man. Well, and thanks for, for making the time on your trip here uh, yeah. to, to be on the podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks, Parker. All right. There you have it. An in-depth interview with John Jay Van S from John Jay and Rich and the Love Up and Love Pup Foundations. Thank you, John Jay, for being on the show. I appreciate it. And thanks to everyone listening for listening, for being here, for supporting. I appreciate that as well. And I hope that you loved this episode. John Jay shared so many good stories and good life lessons and principles that we can definitely extract from this episode and apply in our daily lives. So if you learned something, if you liked this episode, if you're loving the podcast, let me know by leaving a rating and a review. That would be much appreciated. But thanks for listening, guys. Have a good week. I'll see you next week.